Okay, so I am here with Julie Delpy, who is most recently the writer, director, and star of Two Days in New York. Julie, how are you doing? Good, and you? Pretty good. Pretty good. well. Pretty well. So, let's talk about this quality of the last three films that you have directed. I have seen patriarchs who like to key cars. I have seen countesses <laughs> who like to murder women to obtain their virgin blood so that they could actually... <laughs> get some nourishing qualities from them. I have seen <laughs> puppet shows being used to display and communicate family history. It is safe to say that eccentric behavior is indeed the human bedrock upon which you, the last three films that you have directed lie. And I'm curious why aberrant and transgressive behavior along these lines so fascinates you and is so necessary for narrative because for a lot of other people, well, they'll go straight to the normality. So what of this? You know, I guess I am attracted to human flaws, yes. whatever they are, you know, uh, anger. However outlandish. <laughs> <laughs> anger, neurosis, you know, not everybody likes it, you know, but I've always had, uh, I've always had, you know, kind of more of a, I've always liked the characters that are more flawed than, you know, um, than the general person, I guess, you know, yeah. like the, the super perfect person, hero kind of character is not like my most exciting one you know yeah. I, i'd rather you know i'd rather watch uh, rupert pupkin yes. for example <laughs> rupert pupkin <laughs> yes but you do have your characters often move in moving into these domestic carapaces like the mm. family for example or marriage children appear in two days in new york and so you know this leads me to ask whether a certain kind of normality is in fact necessary in exploring human behavior and are there any problems in having the default mode be eccentric or idiosyncratic? Yeah, I mean, you know, yes, there are also normal people. I mean, yeah. they have normal lives. They're not, like, totally crazy people in mental institutions. I mean, sorry. Nothing against mental institutions. No, but what I mean, it's like they're not out <laughs> no of control. They're not, yeah. yeah, exactly. They're not, you know, they're they're functioning people. I mean, they are neurotic. They are sometimes their emotion takes over them. You know, they're like everyone. I, I mean... Do you know people that are totally emotionless or, I mean, those people are psychotic then, and yeah. then it's actually dangerous, I think. No, those people are full of emotion, they're full of, you know, they argue. I mean, I don't know anyone who hasn't argued with their, you know, the person they live with. I mean, I've never met someone like that. So, yeah. you know, a part of they spend two weeks with person and then they move on to the next one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> then it's all good for two weeks, then you move on to the next one. No, but I mean, if you have, you know, uh, compromises together, relationship, family, all that stuff, it just brings a lot of tension. So I can kind of use this tension for comedy, you know, basically. Well, certainly here in America, one cannot go to Thanksgiving without getting into an argument with the family <laughs> in some case. But I, I would argue that the arguments in your films, especially the Two Days movies, I mean, you have in cafes allegations of child rape. Right, you yeah. have this loud family argument that poor Mingus is trying to actually network Figure here. out. Yes, yeah. exactly. So it seems to me that there's this added intensity to argument. And so, you know... Well, I think, I think you know, it is a character, that's why I explored her twice. Yeah. I mean, Marion just go one step too far every yes. time. You know, um, it's okay to have a fight with an ex-boyfriend, But like, don't 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 accuse him of raping children. I don't know. Maybe it's true. I mean, you know, maybe she is really serious. But I mean, I don't know. I just feel she has um, the character has a certain anger issue. Like she's not really in control of her emotions. Yeah. And to me, it's great ma material for comedy. I mean, yes, if she was in control of her emotions, it wouldn't be that funny. You yes. know, like it would be then a typical rom com that doesn't go. I mean, that's why I make independent films. Sure. Is that I'm a Because I make independent films, they give me less money, so I'm allowed to go in places that a lot of people 
don't dare to go in in human behavior you know sure. like just one step too far you know but but it's also realistic like it's not you know sisters fighting the way I describe in this this film the sequel to Days in New York is not totally I mean all my friends that have sister were like oh my god it's me and my sister yeah oh my god that's what we do when we see each other and we haven't seen each other for a while yes we just pull each other hair I mean yes. like it's not based on no you know it's not based on just a fantasy I've seen it happen yeah. to friends of mine you know like they go into this crazy love-hate relationship that you know well, to touch upon what you just said about independent films, I mean, it seemed to me that in the 90s, anybody who had management skills, some names, some elements, and a really crazy idea could pretty much get financing. At least it was certainly easier back then than it is now. Um, nice what, yeah, what's, what struggles have you faced to get, say, movies like the Two Days duo made? I mean, you know... It, was this one of the reasons why you got Chris Rock attached to this movie? Did you approach Adam Goldberg again to maybe have no. him deal with Marion? <laughs> no, no, no. Chris Rock was, was always attached to the sequel. Okay. I decided to make a sequel and Marion had a new boyfriend yeah. for various reasons because I have two movies that are also sequels before Sunrise Sunset, which yes. is with the same guy. I thought this should be different. Yeah. Also, those films are a bit, uh, you know, uh, Sunset, Sunrise are very romantic. My films are a bit less romantic, a bit more like, you know, punch, punching people in the face kind yeah. of. A it's yeah. not as happy. It's a bit more rough, you know, and tough. And, um, and, uh, and I wanted it to be in a way more real. Basically, you know, uh, it doesn't always work out. I mean, more, a bit more cynical in life. You know, it doesn't always work out with the guy you have a kid with and then you have to move on. And then, you know, how do you handle life, you know? And so Chris was always part of it. And Chris was not actually... That's not because I didn't cast Chris Rock to get more money out of people. I actually, all the financing was European. Yes. German. They've never heard of Chris Rock in Germany. <laughs> no, but seriously, I mean, they have no idea who They've Chris Rock is. They've heard of Hasselhoff. Huh? <laughs> Hasselhoff more than Chris Rock. Yes, exactly. Or I don't know who, but yeah. they haven't. So the financing was actually, casting Chris Rock had nothing to do with like some kind of monetary thing. Because actually, the financing was only European. You yes. Know, French and German. So... But you did have him play. A I mean, far I more... wanted him yeah, yeah. to play the part just because I like him as yes. an actor. Well, I think, I, and I do too. And I, but it's interesting that he is actually more straight-laced straight, than this. Yeah, but and, that's what and I actually, want... he's the calm presence. And actually, this leads me to ask you another quality of, of your films. The men tend to be the ones who kind of complain and, and don't actually want to take risks to confront, especially Maria. <laughs> yeah, they kind of just sit there and, and, and let women be crazy. And I was curious about that gender dynamic because I see uh, there are other men who just accept women, but these men can't seem to do that. So I'm curious about that. Why, why, why is this? Well, I like the conflict of those characters. Like they're with a woman who's a feisty yeah. woman, obviously, and everything. And they love her, but at the same time, they don't know how to handle her. You know, it's like she's kind of a... Well, she's very free. I mean, yeah. she's very, she's not someone you can really control, you know, and they're with her for that reason, probably. But at the same time, it's kind of like men want control. Yeah. And and I think, you know, probably the problem of Mario is that she is not someone you can really control fully. Yeah. Which or, is exciting, but also a little bit stressful for men. <laughs> or the way to level the playing field is to give men a woman who is not so pliable or controllable who is someone who they actually have to deal with instead of try to try to manage this is this is the way to sort of uh, level out the playing field for romantic comedies in the future you would say or 
Yeah, I mean, I just feel like often the woman in the romantic comedy is the one that doesn't have the complexity, yeah. doesn't have the problem, doesn't have the issue. Should I stay with this man or not? You know, it's always more the man that question, you know, the romantic idea of love. Yes. She's the one always questioning life and romantic ideas of love and am I meant to be a mate forever? Yeah. Usually women are the ones that are like projecting this kind of fairy tale idea of like, oh, I meet Prince Charming, I stay, blah, blah, blah. We live happily ever after. But Marion is the opposite. She's the one having issues with those kind of concept. And uh, maybe because I personally have problem with this issue of like, you know, uh, finding someone, being with them for the rest of my life. I don't know if that mean, that's me, you know yeah. what I mean? Maybe, maybe not, but I'm not like sure. I definitely don't have like romantic projection of like this perfect kind of romantic idea of like the couple, the getting married and, you know, yeah. with little birds flying around. I'm definitely not like that. <laughs> <laughs> One of some of the interesting resonances between the fil- two films, um, two that struck me, the thermometer becomes the toothbrush in New York. The, uh, the, yeah, the, you have the thermometer joke and then now it's the uh, toothbrush joke. Where toothbrush, the, oh yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, exactly. Like, like objects being put in the wrong spot. Exactly, or <laughs> blue jeans being used to sort of woo a man. In the first film we have mom ironing the blue jeans. The blue jeans. In the second film we have the blue jeans offer on air. So, so the, I, the blue jeans are where? The blue jeans when uh, Mingus is on the air and there's that woman who offers the... Oh, the, the jeans. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. I see, that's funny. So so I'm wondering, you know, I'm, I'm guessing these were accidental, but I'm wondering if there were any conscious efforts on your part to mimic the resonances from the first film to see if they would play a little differently in New well, York that's or something, older. Or... For example, the, I mean, I think it's it's something to do with like how, um, you know, like I've always been amused that you know Americans, <laughs> I mean, in France, if you take your temperature, everyone puts it in their butt. Yeah. Just I have to tell you, just like a, just, just like if you're a toddler, you know, yeah. you just put it yeah. there. It is a and I've thing. always been having American boyfriends who thought it was the most repulsive, you know, thing that French people are perverts because we put our temp- <laughs> we take our temperature in the butt. So we are perverts because of that. So I always thought that was a funny idea. I mean, the thing about the toothbrush, you know, I have the idea that actually they might have done really nothing with that toothbrush and that it's all in his mind that they might have used the toothbrush or it was another object, you know, it wasn't the toothbrush, but he's like convinced that they're perverts using his toothbrush for sex toys. But I actually believe personally that, you know... The toothbrush is your Pulp Fiction suitcase. (laughs) It could be used for naughty purposes. It could be used for rather eccentric purposes. Maybe they're brushing their teeth as they're doing it. We don't know. Yeah, who knows? They might have been brushing their teeth while doing it. You know, but he's convinced... Or they might have used another object that sounds like that toothbrush. But he's convinced it's his toothbrush. It's this projection of, you know, this idea that, you know... You know, once you have this idea that someone is perverted, like you can imagine everything, you know. And I like the that, that was a kind of playful thing. I don't know. The sound sounded pretty similar to my ears. Uh, I'm wondering, did you work with the sound guy to sort of have it close? Actually, that was one you... of the hardest thing to do yeah. to find the right sound and you know, and the banging on the wall so it didn't sound too trashy. Yeah. You know, like to make it always find the right limit between really too, tr- too cr- crass and yeah. like. You know, not too, not too cute either. You know. Well, I mean, so. I'm wondering how you research toothbrush sounds versus dildo sounds. That would be a very interesting I project for a sound I didn't turn on dildos. <laughs> I only turn on toothbrush. I, I kept, I kept it to toothbrush. But actually, I did, I did spend a lot of time listening to many, many different sound of toothbrushes. <laughs> yes. And some toothbrush, I just didn't like the sound. Yeah. So I kind of drove everyone crazy. I'm very. Um, when I get into post-production with all the, the mixing and the sand and all that stuff, I get really super duper, duper, duper 
kind of precise on what I want. And that toothbrush, I drove everyone nuts over. So. Well, like, how so? How precise can you get? Is there any sort of limit that you will reach before people, like, are driven nuts or something? How anal are you here? No, I will work until I get what I want. Yeah. I won't, like, I, I'm not, like, crazy, like, like going, uh, like, a power trip. Like, it's to show that I'm, no, I have the power over no them. No Kubrick 172 takes. No. <laughs> Even though they called me Stanley all the time. But anyway. <laughs> and not just because not, you grew a not beard. In the, yeah. Not in the, yes, it's because of my beard and not because of my talent. No, yeah. I'll tell you that. No, no, but because, like, I get a little bit obsessed and sometimes in details and stuff like that. But it's, it's kind of a, but then when I have what I want, I'm just, I'm fine. Then I'm done. Boom. Yeah. Then well, I never talk about it again. Well, like how many takes did you do just to to deflate the Stanley rumors? Or... Well, I, I ended up recording the toothbrush myself. Okay. Yeah. Because I didn't like any of their sounds, so I, I ended up taking a mic and going to record my toothbrush <laughs> and the toothbrush I wanted to to use in the film. Wow. Well, are you hands on <laughs> okay. like that for for uh, cinematography or for other matters? Cinematography, no. Yeah. Because I am not a very good. Um, I don't have the best visuals, you know, yeah. like ideas and stuff. I'm not hands-on cinematography. I'm very hands-on sound, music, yeah. sound effects, everything that has to do with sound. I'm very good, you know. I'm very obsessed. Also, when we do the the, the period of um, of like uh, the the color correction, I get very oh, yeah. very like if I don't get what I want, I will not stop. What, what about placement of actors? Like Which is I th- normal. I think it's normal. I mean, if you're a filmmaker, yeah. you want to get. I mean, you know, it's so much work to write, so much work to shoot. Yes. And then you edit for like three months and you work like a maniac, you know? And then you end up in post-production and you don't want to have suddenly like skin tones that are wrong or, you know, I mean, you can very quickly, now there's such a a scale of things you can do. Like the, it's so large. You can go from a skin that looks kind of creamy to a skin that looks all greenish. I mean, you can do so much that you have to be really careful in uh, in color correction nowadays, for example. What about positioning an actor? Like, I think of the image in The Countess of the guy standing on top of the heads. I mean, you know, how particular oh, yeah, yeah, are yeah. you about something like that? Oh, that I'm mean, very did, particular. The angle of the head. Is the head just right at that particular angle? I'm just trying to get a sense of how precise you are, really, with these types of yeah, things. Yeah, I get very precise when <laughs> scenes like that, because to me, it's like, it's almost like a, I wanted it to look like a painting. There's yeah. like a lot of 17th century painting I've yes. looked at based for this film, you know, like a lot and lot of... of uh, of uh, Grienne, of uh, a lot of like Nordic painters and everything. So I was really inspired by that and I wanted it to look like that, like something almost ridiculous but kind of funny. I mean, the film, The Countess is not devoid of hu- humor. I yeah. mean, I see the film as something a little bit funny at times. So, I mean, it, it's meant to be that way, like even the craziness of wanting to stay young forever. I mean, she's obviously a, such a pathetic character, you yeah. know, which. Yeah makes me laugh you know she makes me laugh actually and so anyway even this guy is kind of crazy i mean he's like he's he's sitting on a throne of um, beheaded turks you yes. know so it's kind of funny yes you know <laughs> if you're dark uh, i i i thought actually so a lot of it was funny personally yeah, but i'm yeah, a sick yeah. human being uh but yeah. belvedere castle but it's meant to be funny yes Belvedere Castle, I wanted to ask you about this. You shoot, you shot the end of Two Days in New York at Belvedere Castle. Yeah. And what happened with me when I saw the film is I had, and this may be a terribly wonkish and pedantic question, but I feel the need to ask it nonetheless. Um, I immediately thought, oh, the Bostonians, Merchant Ivory. And the reason I thought about that was because in Two Days in Paris, you have this early moment where the American tourists come in and they have these the red Da Vinci Code, which is almost serving as the red Baedeker tour guides that you see in a room with a view. <laughs> and so, um, oh my God, that's and, and, and they're tourists, much in that mode, going through a city. And of course, 
you know, they've come from Venice by train, so I think to myself, oh, maybe that was, there was a, maybe a Merchant Ivory nod there. But I'm wondering, you know, based off of these two things, whether emulating that sort of um, Merchant Ivory look and, and subverting it with wild behavior or astonishing developments was, was ever an interest of yours, and also why you chose Belvedere Castle. Well, you know, I didn't really think at all of Merchant Ivory. <laughs> yeah. You looked into it like, I'm, I'm like, I'm, oh my yeah, God. I'm, I'm, that's pretty, this, this no, but that's, re that's really cool. That's really cool. <laughs> no, no, that's really cool to, 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 to read so much into something. No, I basically picked the Belvedere Castle because, um, you know, I wanted someone high that made sense that it was dangerous, but not like, you know, Empire State Building yes. dangerous because Empire State Building anyway, you can't jump off the Empire State Building since it's all blocked out. So it had to be realistic. And the Belvedere Castle is quite dangerous. Actually, if you jump there, you can kill yourself. Yeah. But um, but it's not, but I wanted it to be like almost like a fairy tale also. You know, the film is a little bit like a fairy tale. It's told to a child, really, because it's told with this puppet. So I wanted this end to be in a castle, like a fairy tale, you know, and, you know, uh, the princess, which is me, is saved by the prince, yes. <laughs> which is Chris Rock, you know, but obviously the film is so not a fairy tale in its tone and everything, but I wanted it to be like a fairy tale. It ends in a castle, Yes. you know, like, like, like a fairy tale. Absolutely. I mean, it was a very girly, it's not even girly, because I have to tell you, my son... He's a boy, and, you know, he's obsessed with fairy tales. Yeah. You know, because he loves the idea of people getting married at the end. Well, why wouldn't a boy be obsessed? The early versions were very murderous, you know? Yeah, <laughs> very well, violent and gruesome. Yeah. yeah, he likes the gruesome stuff, but he also loves the, like, love stuff. Yeah. The l little birds, the people kissing. You should see his face. He smiles like a an angel when he sees, like, two people being in love. He's just so happy. Yes. It's something uh, innate in, in human beings. People want, um, you know... Uh, in the first impulse of human beings is they want people to be happy together. Yes. That's what they want. I have to keep the trains running on time, so I have one last question. You said to The Guardian in 2007, you hate being a male fantasy. You said to The Believer in 2009, in response to a question about the scarcity of women directors, that you don't like to include yourself in a group of any kind. To what degree are you still... No, but of uh, burdened by of these assumptions involving gender. Have things changed at all in the, in the last couple of years, or are you still sort of declared the male fantasy or at this point well look I've, I've got a few films under my belt you know fuck you basically well I'm definitely less of a male fantasy now that I'm yeah. 42 you know <laughs> that's the good side of it you know I'm, I'm definitely like taken more seriously I mean I don't think I've had meetings with you know if I have meetings with finances in Europe, they take me totally seriously. My films make money. No one's ever lost money with a film of mine so far. Even The Countess, in the end, it came out in France. It came out of DVD here. I mean, like, in the end, it's not, it was not, like, even though I got a bad review in Berlin a long time ago, you know, it's like, it made money. Like, everything I've made made money. And, like, let's not talk about the other films because they all made a lot of money for the people that financed it. So... So I'm taken seriously in that sense because yeah. obviously you know I, I'm not someone I'm not I'm not something that you invest in that makes makes you lose money, yeah. so so that's a positive thing, and uh, and uh, because cinema is money basically yeah. I mean it's an investment it's a business that's that's all it is then you can talk about the creative side but it's really a business, entertainment. Um, uh, I mean, at my level, it's a pretty small business, but it's still a business. So, so the bottom line is that, yeah, I mean, in Hollywood, it's a little less clear, the position of women in film. Uh, I think there's a very simple reason for that. I think uh, um, the people in, you know, studio heads, everything, even including women, you know, they really want to see the director as someone who makes decisions, organize things. They'd rather have someone who's not creative at all 
nerdy that does the job yeah. that makes his shot list ready that doesn't have emotions you know they really want to avoid emotional directors and i think there's this idea that women cannot be anything but emotional yeah and and i think it scares those people because they come from a world of business of finance and emotion is devoid of that world entirely you know like you're not supposed to be an emotional um you know you, you're not an emotional business there's no emotional you know uh traders you know i mean they yeah. are they have breakdowns and they kill themselves and they have heart attacks at 42 but i mean they're not emotional like you know emotional so <laughs> <laughs> So, so basically, I think the idea that women are emotional, you mm-hmm. know, hormone-driven, emotional, blah, 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 makes, I think, the, the Hollywood people that are, you know, totally coming from this non-creative and emotional world very scared of women director a little yeah. bit. So you have to just prove that you're a stable person. I mean, you know, for me, you know, the early on, the questions that people would ask me, they were worried that I would have a breakdown in the middle of a shoot, that I would be hysterical, that... Simply because now of the tone of your made, films? or No, yeah, or just because I'm a woman, I yeah. think. And now that people have seen me work and they know that, you know, I can have a, you know, like a, a, a meteor fall in the middle of my set, it's not going to stop me from shooting the scene. Yeah. You know, now that people understand that, you know, I'm not, now it's getting easier. Like, people are not as worried. Like, you know, like nothing will stop me from finishing my film. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. like nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, on The Countess, my mom was dying. Yeah. I finished the film. You know, she died two days after I finished the film. So I, 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 nothing, I mean, it sounds pretty horrible, but to me, you know, I mean, I was very close to her and I was spending a lot of time with her, but, but like nothing will stop me from finishing a film because it's my duty. I'm not, you know, I, I, I understand the repercussion financially for everyone. And I, maybe that sounds very tough, but, you know, when you engaged in making a movie, you have to finish it and you have to finish it well. And I take that very seriously. Sure. Okay, I have to leave, unfortunately, but thank you very much, Julie. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.